Merry Christmas, everyone. It's great to be with all of you and glad that we can worship together wherever we each find ourselves today. Now, if you're watching this on Christmas Day, my family and I right now are on the road to visit family down in Florida. So imagine for a moment, six grown people in an SUV for two days straight on Route 95. Merry Christmas. Can you all say a prayer for me? Well, the fact is there's a story that's been in my head for years. It was told to me by a friend in college. And over the years, I probably repeated this story dozens of times. Now I realize that the more times I've told the story, the more details my imagination has added to it, as happens with stories that we tell a lot. But the essence of the story is rooted in fact. As best I can remember, the story goes like this. My college friend, grew up his family knowing another couple who had a child, a boy. And as that boy grew up, he developed normally in almost every way. He rolled over at the right time. He started crawling around six months old. He even began walking just a little bit before he was a year old. And as the early months of his life unfolded, however, as months turned into a year, turned into two years, it became clear that something was different about this boy. The difference was that he never spoke. Now we know what it's like as parents who long for their kids' first words, right? I mean, dads and moms both want their kid to say their name first. I've known dads who have taken their babies into the other room and just whispered, Dada, Dada, come on, you can do it, in their ears while mom's not there. But this boy was typical in every other way He'd interact with his mom and dad. He'd play with his toys. He'd, he'd play with other kids. But never once did he utter a word. For nearly three years, this went on. The parents tried everything, but the boy wouldn't talk. So all the family decided they could do was simply wait and hope. And then one day, the family took a drive to a friend's house out in the country. They were standing together on the driveway talking as they arrived when suddenly, out of the blue, the boy lit up. He turns towards a large barn up the road. He, he points and he looks to his parents with excitement. And he said, look at the light in the barn over there. <laughs> I remember that sentence for sure. Those were his first words, the first words he ever spoke. And it wasn't just one word, but it was nine. It was a complete, cogent, articulate, complex sentence with nouns, imperative verbs, definite articles and adverbs. Needless to say, the parents were both floored and delighted that their son was now speaking. And the great part of the story is that the boy who was silent began talking a blue streak and never looked back. Like Forrest Gump who started running and just kept on running, this boy started talking and just kept on talking. His silence was finally broken. Now, in a lot of ways, that's what Christmas is like. On Christmas Day, silence is broken. Think about your Christmas this year. For how long have you kept quiet about certain things? How many secrets were whispered out of earshot of each other? Who have you quietly been preparing a gift for? Whose voice have you been waiting to hear again? 
How long have you been looking forward to being together in your home, filling a quiet place with noise and laughter? That's what happens on Christmas Day. Things finally get spoken. Gifts are given. Whispers turn into celebration. Voices fill our spaces. On Christmas Day, silence is broken. Well, this was true for the first Christmas as well. With the birth of Christ came the breaking of silence. It was actually the breaking of God's silence. Throughout this Advent season, we've been leaning into the reality that before Christ's birth, God had been silent for 400 years. That that long span of centuries between the time of the prophets when their voices were finally silenced until the months leading up to the coming of the Messiah, the one those prophets were promising would come. And together we've been listening to what silence has to say to us. And in particular, how the silence of God makes us ready for the voice of God. But then comes Christmas, the day of the nativity, God's entrance into the world. And where before there was silence, on this day, God finds his voice. And when he breaks his silence, words begin to pour out into the world. The fact is that Christmas day, that first Christmas day, was a very noisy one. Let's turn to the scriptures for a moment and look at the Gospel of Luke and pick it up at chapter 2, verse 6. While Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and played him placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and got into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had just heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. When Jesus is born, words start flowing. Noise breaks the silence. Angels show up and start saying things. Then lots and lots of them start singing things. Shepherds start talking to each other. Let's go to Bethlehem to see what's happened. Then they show up to see the child. Now we assume and hope that they mustered enough self-control in those moments in the presence of that mother and her baby to quiet things down a bit to a holy hush. Now, as an aside, can I just say as a pastor, one presumption I never make 
is that a young couple wants visitors from anyone outside their close family circle in those early hours after a baby is born. But there's gracious Mary. She is the one notable exception to all the noise. She's the one person who continues in silence as she marvels and ponders and wonders at what all these things truly mean, both for her and for her son and for, for all people. Something tells me that Mary was coming to realize that this child was not hers alone, that he was no ordinary child. Well, then the shepherds leave and they, they spill out all over the countryside, talking up a storm again. They return and can't stop praising and glorifying God for what they'd seen and heard. You see, when God breaks his silence, words start flowing freely. But here's the thing. Of all the people who break their silence on that day, no one's words are more articulate and stunning than the word God offered himself. When after 400 years, God finds his voice, the very first word he speaks to break his silence was Jesus. When God breaks his silence, the very first word he speaks is Jesus. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews puts it in the very first paragraph of that letter, Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So to a world and all creation that was yearning to hear from God, to people living in places of hurt and longing and desperation, to a nation at, at the time living under an, an oppressive and unjust system whose religious leaders cared more for protecting their own footprint of influence than leading the people closer to God. And in a world where people were on margins, feeling left out, having to fend for themselves without a voice and with few systems of recourse. It's into this world that God finally makes his voice heard once again. And remarkably, the first audible sounds of a God who finally breaks his silence are the cries of an infant child. Born on the outskirts of town, who without, without a bed gets placed in a feeding trough and cloths wrapped snugly around him. Scripture says in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the question is, what exactly is God saying to us through this Word that becomes flesh? Well, when God speaks the word Jesus, he's saying, first of all, I haven't forgotten you. The people have been waiting to hear from God for so long, and many wondered if the promised Messiah would ever come. If you've ever experienced the feeling of being forgotten, it's a terrible one. In our family, our dog Buckley hates it when we leave him alone in the house. Every time we walk out of the door, he follows us and looks desperate for us not to walk out. 
He whines and he whimpers. And as we drive out of the driveway, this, more often than not, is our last view of the house as we pull out. Poor guy hates to be left alone and always worries that he's being forgotten. Well, people had wondered if they'd been forgotten by God. Life in the first century was hard. It seemed that even with all the progress that human civilization had made, so many people felt invisible, left behind, forgotten. And the promise that God had made to send a rescuer, a Messiah, was still lingering in their imagination. Now, one of the key through lines that weaves itself throughout the entire story of redemptive history is that God never forgets his people. He remembered Noah and his family on the ark after the flood. He remembered his covenant with Abram and Sarai. He gave them a son, Isaac. He remembered Joseph in the pit and in the prison, restoring him to his life and position. He remembered the Israelites as they were groaning under the weight of slavery, sending Moses to set them free. He remembered Hannah and opened her womb. He remembered the people in exile, bringing them back home again. When God speaks the word Jesus, he's saying, I haven't forgotten you. Your Savior has come. The second thing he says in, when he speaks that word Jesus, he says, I am here with you. Once again, the writer of Hebrews tells us that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So Jesus is the presence of God. He is God made flesh, visible, personal, relatable presence of God himself. And he comes into this world to be with us, to experience it with us, to meet us in it. Now think about that, the limitless creator of the universe entering into the limited experience of this world with all of its trouble and heartache and finitude. He's not an unseen force, but he comes as a person, one that each of us can relate to. And this time, in the fullness of time, God doesn't simply send someone on his behalf. He comes himself. He comes in Jesus, translating himself as one of us so that we might know that he is really with us. Now, my college roommate, Martin, is the father of two young adult children. And both of his kids are autistic, and their autism expresses itself differently for each one of them. And now, as is always the case, for any parent with children who aren't neurotypical, Martin would say, their autism is never the first thing I want you to know about them, but it's never the last thing either. It's a part of who they are, but it's not the only thing they are. And when he talks about his kids, he says that in many ways, each of them has created an entire world in their imagination, in their minds. And it's not a world that precisely correlates to the world we live in, uh, but in some ways it's parallel, and at times is a real mystery to him as their dad. Now Martin, who himself is a Christ follower, tells me that one day he was driving by a church, and in front of the church were a couple hundred crosses. Now, it was obviously a church, and they were obviously crosses. As they were driving by, their son said to his dad, why are all those T's in front of that building? And Martin thought to himself, I failed as a Christian parent. 
But he said, you know, the truth is my kids love going to church and they have their own decent idea of what faith is about, but it's kind of their own version. And then he said this, he said, I had this marvelous moment a few years ago. He said, I had this thought. Part of having a theology that is incarnational, that says God comes into our world, it means that he goes into their world as well. That world that I can't get into, God's able to get into. He said, and I realized my kids are as open to divine love and grace as anyone. And if God made it into my world, he can make it into theirs. It's the essence of the incarnation. You know, at times we may think that our world is one that God can never reach, that, that he can't relate to it. Maybe we think that we've strayed so far away that God couldn't possibly find us. That your life is so broken that he might not want to show up. That our experience is so far from what we imagine God might be able to access or even care to come into. The incarnation says God is here. And when God finds his voice and speaks, he says God's word made flesh is with you wherever you're here is today. So you are not forgotten. I am here with you. And finally, through Jesus, God says, follow me and all things will be made right. Now, I don't know about you, but as for me, the more Christmases I've experienced, the more I've come to realize two forces constantly at play inside of me, two perspectives that sort of shape my view of things as I make my way through the season. On the one hand, I find that Christmas accentuates the best that the world has to offer, calls out the best in me. We see it all the time, friendship and generosity, the making of special moments together, expressions of joy and hope and gladness and, and gratitude. But at the same time, Christmas season brings into focus some of the deep hurts and hardships of our world too. If you've lost a loved one, you know that this time of year is especially hard. Listening to the news is hard during the season of Christmas. Hearing about war and conflict, economic hardship and persistent injustice. Oftentimes during the season, family conflict gets exposed and we feel the sharp edges of, of lifelong hurts. And of course, our own shortcomings and selfishness comes to the surface as well. So Christmas season both raises our hopes and aspirations for what life in the world at its best should be, but it also highlights the fact that the world is actually as broken as it is. <laughs> as a dad, I've, I've felt this particularly sharply. I can't tell you how many times during the season I find myself singing along with a Christmas carol at one moment and then speaking with great frustration at one of my kids the next. You know, it's joy to the world. Get yourself down here right now, young lady. Don't you dare give me that look. The wonders of his love. You know, I mean, this juxtaposition of these two realities competing in us. But I would suggest that Christmas is the perfect time to live in and experience the tension of these two things. Why? Because it really is the essence of why Christ came in the first place. This gap that honest people see at Christmas in the world and in ourselves is the chasm that Christ came to bridge. 
You see, the Messiah people were hoping for when Jesus came was a leader who would rise up and challenge the authorities that kept them down, a hope for a national leader. But in reality, we find that God had much bigger plans. Jesus didn't just come to rescue first century Jews from political oppression. He came to rescue humanity, all of us, from our own brokenness and selfishness. He came to undo the power of sin and release us from the fear and sorrow of death. He came to bring healing to the cosmos, to reframe our understanding of what is good and true and beautiful, and in the process, to heal ourselves. So this redeeming work involves sacrifice on the part of Christ. It would lead this child to grow up and ultimately give himself over to the authorities who would place him on the cross and put him to death. And on that cross, he would bear our sin. And on our part, it requires humility and trust as we are invited by Jesus into an experience of obedience and freedom. Not an obedience and humility that leads us to losing ourselves, but one, by contrast, that when we follow the way of Jesus actually leads us to find our true selves. So in Christ, God says to us, follow me and all things will be made right. And so it's true, friends, that the silence of God made the world ready for the voice of God. And when he spoke, you know what he really says? Actually, he said the same thing that the little boy said when he finally broke his silence after all that time there with his mom and dad and their friends in that driveway. He pointed and he said, look at the light in the barn over there. And the light of God that he was pointing to was Jesus, the light of the world who was placed in a manger. The world made flesh who says to us, I haven't forgotten you. I am with you. Follow me and all things will be made right. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the moments we've been able to share together this Christmas day. Thank you for making your glory and your radiance present with us through Messiah Jesus. Thank you for providing us with experiences of your silence and now the wonderful experience of your spoken word. Come to us through Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, Son of God. Amen.